It's episode 550 of the Locked On Texas Rangers podcast. On today's episode, the Rangers are already making moves. MLB is back, and the Rangers have already made their first signing. Return of the King, Martin Perez. I'm going to talk about what it means for this Rangers rotation, what it means for the budget, and what else is left to do. All that and more on this episode of Locked On Rangers. Let's get into it. Locked On Rangers, your daily Texas Rangers podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. You are Locked On the Texas Rangers. I'm your host, Bryce Patrick, here in my fourth season covering the Texas Rangers for the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. And I want to thank you guys so much for making Locked On Rangers your first listen every single day. If you're not already, go ahead and follow me on Twitter at Bryce Patrick. Follow the show at Locked On Rangers and subscribe on YouTube or wherever the heck you get your podcasts. Baseball is back and we were promised a flurry of moves. I waited all afternoon until the Rangers made their first move because I was thinking there would be a lot more moves last night when the deal was finally finally went into place at 6 p.m. Central Standard Time, but we had to wait until this morning. The Rangers were not the first move that was made that was a relief pitcher signed by the Cardinals. I can't remember who because I don't really know who that is, but again, the Rangers have made their first move. It is re-signing, or I guess just signing in general because he wasn't with the Rangers last. It's been a while since he's been here, but Martin Perez is coming back to the Rangers on a one-year, $4 million deal. He has spent the last two seasons in Boston before that, 2019. He was with the Twins. Then from 2012, actually, well, since he was signed, whenever that was uh, many, many years ago, until 2018, he was a member of the Texas Rangers. A fine pitcher with a lot of hopes pent up on him. He never quite lived up to those hopes. The only award votes he got were he finished sixth place in Rookie of the Year voting back in 2013, where he had a, a pretty fine, solid season, probably his best season, actually, as a major leaguer. A 3.62 ERA in 20 starts, 124 innings. But this is a guy who I think is a valuable signing for the Texas Rangers. It's not exciting. It's not sexy. I mean, for me... I, I like Martin Perez. He was the first big leaguer I ever had the privilege of interviewing. And I, as a very, very nervous, I think 20 year old at the time, I had no idea what I was doing. And he was a very, very kind individual. But his time with the Rangers wasn't, didn't quite work out nearly as well as the Rangers had hoped. When he left for Minnesota, it didn't have a super great year for them. It's been okay in and out of their starting rotation last year as a member of the Boston Red Sox, but he performed fine. And that's about what the Rangers are hoping for. This rotation right now, as it stands with Martin Perez, uh, it, it stands with he's not he's not the number one. Don't worry. It's still John Gray as the de facto ace at this point. Dane Dunning. And I think Martin Perez right now slots in in the number three role. I think that's where he is above Taylor Hearn. And then the fifth spot at this point would probably be occupied by a combination of Spencer Howard and Colby Allard. Now, I have some questions about Spencer Howard and Coley Albert, and also even about Taylor Hearn. I did say last year multiple times that I do believe that he is a legitimate starter. I believe that since he came here in the trade for Keoti and Kella from Pittsburgh, that this guy has starting potential. His first start in the major leagues went about as badly as it can go, but I think last year he showed some real promise and went pretty deep into games Pitched fairly well, was was pretty good out of the bullpen as well. Had a few rocky starts towards the end, kind of seemed to lose some steam, but I think he held up admirably. But you're going to have to build up his innings like you kind of did with Dane Dunning. Last year, Dunning didn't pitch that many innings for the Rangers. Last year, despite pitching 
basically the entire season. I think he missed a little bit of time with COVID, but he only threw 117 and two thirds innings, but did pitch in 27 games. 25 of those were starts. So he wasn't really going super deep into games, not because he couldn't, but usually he was about at the you know 75 to 80 pitch mark where the Rangers would yank him. Now I think they're going to let him loose because he did have some time where he missed from, I believe, Tommy John surgery. So they're trying to build his arm back up. So they had guys like Jordan Lyles and Mike Fultinevich who, while they were bad, don't get me wrong, they were bad, but they were also valuable in that Jordan Lyles, even though he had a 515 ERA, was giving up home runs every single game, it felt like. He did throw 180 innings on the dot. There are not that many pitchers who did that last year. I think there might be another case this year where if you just throw 180 innings, that's going to be super valuable for your team, even if you are kind of trash in those innings for the most part. Mike Fultinevich was pretty bad. Only started 24 games, 28 games total, 139 innings for the Rangers. That was valuable. They needed that. They were a rebuilding team, and hopefully you're not going to have two starters in the rotation who their only job is to eat innings and be bad. That's hopefully not what's happening. And I don't think this is necessarily a sign that they are out on Clayton Kershaw. But at this point, I think Taylor Hearn, and maybe I think they still need to add one more pitcher. Whether it's, it's Kershaw or whether it's pursuing Carlos Rodon, I think those are the two main guys that they should be looking at. There are a few other starting pitchers out there on the market, but there's there's not really that many left. I mean, you could also look at Zach Granke, maybe as a possibility. Tyler Anderson is still there. Michael Pineda. But other than that, none of these other names really excite me that much. I mean, maybe Zach Davies might be worth, worth a look, but he didn't have a super great last season, and I believe he suffered some injuries as well, and there might be some team that's willing to give him a lot more money than the Rangers are. But... Again, I, I think those two lefties at the very top end of the remaining free agent pool, pitcher-wise, are the guys that they should look at with predominantly looking at Clayton Kershaw because I love him very much. And he has a much better track record with injuries, although he has been a little bit injured the last few years, than Carlos Rodon. Rodon really fell off towards the back end of the season but had a really, really great year. But Kershaw, again, pitcher of the generation, local kid, multiple-time Cy Young winner, World Series winner, MVP, literally anything you could want from a pitcher, he is that. And he could have a huge impact on the guys in this rotation, whether it's being around Jack Leiter or Cole Wynn or some of these other young guys. I think that is extremely valuable. And, you know, if you can get four pitchers in your rotation this year that I think give you 150 innings, I think that's a that's a win. At this point, I'm hoping, I, I think John Gray can be counted on for 150 to 180 innings. I'm hoping, I really think that he is the workhorse of this staff, whether he is, you know, true ace material, all-star level, I think he's got that potential in him. But I think asking that from him might be a bit much and asking him to carry as big a workload as he will be asked to carry is going to be huge for him. Even if the Rangers do sign Kershaw, I think John Gray is going to give him a lot more innings because he is a little bit younger, has a little bit healthier of a track record. Dane Dunning, I'm hoping for 150, 160 to maybe 180 innings. I think he can do that. But it's going to be a big ask for him as well because he hasn't pitched that many innings, I don't think ever, in his either minor league or obviously major league career. But Martin Perez is an innings eater. He is going to be solid. He is a good clubhouse guy, well-liked around the team. Media really like him. I, I obviously like him for whatever the heck that's worth. But I, th- I think maybe the fifth spot in the rotation with stretching Spencer Howard out, I think Going combo starts with him and Taylor Hearn, I like a little bit better than doing combo starts with Colby Allard and Spencer Howard. But 
it, it might end up that Taylor Hearn is gets his own spot in the rotation, and to stretch Spencer Howard out, they put him in AAA for a little bit. I'm not exactly sure what they're going to do with that, but I know they really value Spencer Howard and giving up an all-star in Kyle Gibson and just getting him back. I think they really, really want him to work out and reach his potential, which is fairly high, but there's going to be quite a bit of work that goes into Spencer Howard reaching that. But again, Martin Perez being signed does not mean the Rangers are out on any other pitchers. If anything, it's I knew said they needed two starting pitchers probably this offseason. This is one of them. This is a solid innings eater, a solid guy, another lefty in the rotation, and I, I think this is a solid move for the Rangers. But how does this affect the budget? Coming up, I'm going to talk about what's left of the budget, how much the Rangers are probably going to be willing to spend, and what comes next a little bit later. But first, I want to talk to you guys about Built Bar. That's right. This episode is brought to you by Built Bar. It is the middle of March, which means I've pretty much given up on all my New Year's resolutions. And the only one that I'm actually sticking to is the one that Built Bar helps me with. It's eating healthier. That's right. I grabbed some Built Bars instead of candy bars. They taste even better than candy bars, but they are actually good for you. They're covered in 100% chocolate. They've got all kinds of different flavors. They've got Built Bar Puffs. They're marshmallow infused with protein. It's it's absolutely fantastic. All Built Bars are covered in 100% chocolate. Yes, including the Puffs, 100% real chocolate. They're low calorie. Replace your candy bars with these. They're a much better and healthier option. They are delicious. Most Built Bars contain 130 calories, 4 grams of sugar, 4 net carbs, and 17 grams of protein. Compare that with a candy bar. and It's, it's not even close. Those candy bars usually have 230 calories, 30 grams of sugar, and dozens of net carbs. They've got mint brownie, coconut coconut almond and new white chocolate cookies and cream they've got all kinds of new flavors coming all the time so go to built.com use promo code lock 15 to get 15 percent off your order use promo code locked 15 for 15 percent off at built.com now where does the rangers budget stand at this point it's looking like they've still got some money to burn. I know they just had the most expensive offseason in baseball history. They've already done that. They did that with two players, which is kind of amazing they did that with two players. But they also signed John Gray. They also signed Cole Calhoun. They have now signed Martin Perez. But there's still work to do. And the reason they could do that is because their budget was so low coming in. They had so few contracts on the books coming into the season, I believe. If I remind me if I'm, I'm wrong, but I do believe that uh, Jose Leclerc was going to be the most expensive player on this Rangers roster. Maybe Isaiah Connor Faleva, depending on how arbitration shook out. But there really were only a few guys that were even arbitration eligible: IKF and Willie Calhoun, and eh, I'm not sure about Brett Martin. Brett Martin might be, but Jose Leclerc. There really weren't that many guys that were making more than the minimum. There were a lot of guys on this team making the minimum, so they had a lot of room to spend. I mean, John Gray's going to come in and make $15 million. Marcus Simeon is going to come come in and make $25 million, and Corey Seager, with the big bucks, is making $33 million. I don't think they're going to sign anybody that's going to be making upwards of 25 or $33 million, unless they kind of front-load that Clayton Kershaw deal. I think that's the only way they add anybody that's close to that. But where does their budget stand right now? Well, according to Spotrack or Spotrack, however you pronounce that website, Texas has $114 million on the books right now. And according to Evan Grant, who wrote this in the Dallas Morning News last night, he said the Rangers, before this is before this deal, they had 10 to $15 million more to spend, assuming they don't get Kershaw and or Matt Olson. That is not factoring in what those two dudes would cost. So this knocks off $4 million of that. So according to him, they have six to eleven million dollars 
left to sign whoever else they need to sign that would not be paying Matt Olson or trading or paying Clayton Kershaw. So what all is left right now? They, they sit in 13th. They said they wanted to spend with what would be commensurate to the market size. Now, right now they sit in 13th in according to spot track for how much money they have on the books for contracts next year. Right now they're at a hundred or 90. Let's see. Here we go. Before that, they're, they're at 113 million, which is below the Atlanta Braves, who have not yet paid Freddie Freeman, but I think they will. I really do. I think they're going to give him a massive, massive deal. They'd be absolutely stupid not to. I'd say that's probably a 60 to 65% chance that he resigns there versus going to, I don't know, the Dodgers or some other team that's going to pay him an exorbitant amount of money. But right now, they are below the Braves at 13th. They are below league average, which I believe is, yes. 115 million right now they're sitting just right below it so at 114 million so they, they would need to spend if they spend on the high side of that they'd be at 129 million which would put them just ahead of the braves for now braves are at 124 million it would put them just behind just behind toronto at 133 million so they'd be sitting at 12th which if they want to spend commensurate to the market size this is a top five market you have the Mets, the Dodgers, the Yankees, the White Sox, all those would be ahead of the Rangers in market size, maybe the Astros. But if you count the DFW metro area, that's much bigger than than those. So it's, it'd be sitting fourth. Basically, they should be a, a top, at least a top 10 payroll. But again, you're not gonna just, just going to go spend just for spending's sake. There's got to be guys out there that you want to spend on. So who all's left? What all else do they need? Well, I've been saying from the start they need two pitchers, probably one outfield bat, and that's about what I would need to feel confident about this team because they're not they're not going to go in and start competing for probably a playoff spot. It, it's probably not going to happen from 100 losses to 100 wins or even 90 wins. That's that's a huge jump that very very rarely happens unless you have something major happen like I don't know. You have one of the best players in the world and they're like hurt for the entire season. And then a couple of those guys come back and you sign a whole bunch of people. And then you go from 100 losses to 100 wins. The Rangers aren't doing that. They aren't replacing some injured player that came back. Joey Gallo is, is not coming back. There is no Mike Trout that was injured. There was no Shohei Otani on this team that missed the entire season and is coming back and just adding that. They're adding two superstars as good as superstars as you could have added this offseason. They've already got a really solid starting pitcher in John Gray and a fine starting pitcher in Martin Perez. They need one more starter, which probably Kershaw. If they don't get Kershaw and they don't get Rodon, I don't see them breaking the bank with anybody. They might get some Bilo guy, another maybe a little bit higher level than Martin Perez, but really the outfield bat. Now, now who all is there? Who all is there? Well, I think Seiya Suzuki is the main guy that I have been pushing for. He's going to be 27 next season. He is probably going to take about a year to, you know, kind of adjust to learning curve. He's played in Japan for his entire professional career and has done very, very well. Played mostly corner outfield, a little bit of center field. I think he would be probably in right or left field for the Rangers next year. And Adolis Garcia would probably be many center field. At that point, he's a right-handed hitter who last year had a phenomenal season with the Hiroshima Carp, 
134 games where he had an OPS of 1069, which is pretty darn nice if you ask me. 38 home runs, 26 doubles, an on-base of 433. Guy's an on-base machine. I think it'll take him about a year, like I said, to get adjusted to the Rangers. Now, what kind of contract is he asking for? I looked around, and it's about five years, somewhere between 50 and 6 million. So between 10 and 12 million average annual value. Right now, according to that Evan Grant projection, the Rangers have six to $11 million. If they do it at $11 million for a five-year deal, so a five-year $55 million deal, that's still well within their parameters. Then that doesn't count all the stuff that is that is Clayton Kershaw or what it would cost to pay Matt Olson in arbitration if they decided to trade for him. And that would put them right about where they said they still would be outside the top 10 in spending depending on what Clayton Kershaw and Matt Olson would cost to pay if that even happens. But if, if that doesn't happen, then I think right there, that's a solid 77 to 83 win team, depending on some variants of how well say Suzuki does. Cause I'm not, I don't have a huge, a hugely great grip on how he would do in his first year or how Martin Perez would do next year. Also a couple of the other guys in the rotation are a bit of a question mark. But I think I would be really, I would be, I'm already really happy with this offseason. Adding two, those two guys up the middle, that sealed the deal of this is a great offseason. Well done. You're not going to be absolutely terrible and miserable to watch next year. And the John Gray signing was like, all right, that's nice. Cole Cahoon, I was like, that doesn't really move the needle for me. But cool, you're trying some things. Martin Perez, all right, you're shoring up some holes. But what else is left? I want to talk a little bit about Clayton Kershaw and Matt Olson, what it would take and why I'm a little bit hesitant to go all in on Matt Olson right now with where the Rangers are. But first, I want to talk to you guys about Bet Online. Rangers would be making a huge bet about Matt Olson if they wanted to trade their whole team. Their their odds for going all the way might be a little bit higher. They're, I mean, they're obviously a little bit higher than they were last year, which is going to be really nice to watch them be better. But I, I wouldn't quite put your money on that. But if you want to bet on college sports or pro sports or any sports betonline.net is the perfect place to do it betonline remains your best spot for all your sports scores podcasts and news this offseason it's not just basketball they've got not just baseball bet online it's your continued source for all sports wagering information needs head to the website or use your mobile device to learn more about the trends in action bet online where the game starts now i want to talk about matt olson earlier i was super in on matt olson I was way in, about as in as you could be on trading for Matt Olson, which, don't get me wrong, I'm still super enthused about Matt Olson. But I think it's going to be a huge cost for the Rangers. It all comes down to how much is it going to cost for the Rangers. I don't care about money-wise. It's not my money. I'm not a billionaire. This is not going to cost me anything, depending on how much he earns in arbitration. The prospect costs, that's a, a huge question for the Rangers. Do they want this window that they're opening to last three years or do they want to last five maybe six seven years that's the kind of question that you need to ask when you're getting this guy he's going to be 28 next year he had his first all-star season last year now he probably should have had a few more all-star season before but he plays for the oakland a's and people don't really pay attention to the oakland a's he probably would have had one in 2020 if there was eh, actually looking at his numbers maybe not but in 2019 he got he won the gold glove he had MVP votes. He probably should have been an all-star. He had 36 home runs that year, an OPS of 896 while playing gold glove defense, 26 doubles. It was really solid. Last year, he took the step from being a good offensive first baseman to a consistent and great offensive 
first baseman. He has had more above three. Well, he had basically since he came to the league, if you account for a full entire season. His first year in the league, first full year in the league, he played 59 games. He had a 2.9 war season. 2.9 war in under 60 games. That is phenomenal. The next year, 162 games, he had a 3.7 baseball reference war. The year after that, a 4.8 baseball reference war. 60-game season, not as great for him. 1.0 baseball reference war. Last year, 5.8, which put him in the top 20, I think even the top 10 among American League. Yeah, 7th. He was 7th among American League players in baseball reference war. Which is great. Fantastic. He made a huge leap in his on-base percentage, which is something that he had needed to do for quite a while. He had a 371 on-base percentage last year, which is almost 30 points higher than his 348 for his career. I guess 23 points. So maybe not almost 30. Maybe almost 25. A 911 OPS, 39 home runs, 35 doubles. Finished top 10 in MVP voting. Made his first All-Star appearance was probably gold glove caliber defensively a little bit of a fall off from his earlier years had a negative defensive war but the eye test showed he was a little bit better than that i think the numbers are it's it's really hard to qualify defense especially at first base but i think he did a really good job and he would be a very big upgrade defensively over nathaniel Lowe. now with this new hitting staff that the rangers are bringing in i i really i really believe in nathaniel Lowe. he had a good a very good first month of the season in a very good final month of the season, a guy who didn't do a whole lot in between really needs to hit fastballs well, but that's one of the things that happened that led to the Giants' offensive success so much this year was guys not taking the traditional BP, but taking it off of machines that could throw fastballs, that could simulate fastballs a little better than their coaches pitching. And I think that's going to be a huge area of improvement for Nathaniel Lowe, who against, against off-use but stuff was one of the better hitters on this Rangers club. He had an 842 OPS and four home runs in the final 29 games of the season. To start the season, he had six home runs in April slash March. So 27 games and 845 OPS in the middle. Not so great, but again, I really think that he can make a big leap this year. Defensively, he was very bad. I don't want to sugarcoat it. He was bad. And if you add Matt Olson, I believe this is by far the best defensive infield in all of baseball. And I don't think it's particularly close. Even if Corey Seager is his less than stellar self at shortstop next year, I really do think that this is going to be great because you have three gold glovers. (laughs) Not many teams have that. Even with whatever Corey Seager is going to be doing, I think it's going to be made up for a little bit with IKF. Also, I do want to address one note from, from Jeff Bannister, what he told Evan Grant today. He said that, the first call he made when the lockout was done was to Isaiah kind of to say third base job is yours to lose, which was pretty obvious after the Josh Young injury. There's not a whole lot of people that are really going to compete with him. But one thing that, that bothered me is that he said, yeah, it was basically going to be that way even before the Josh Young injury, which is, is really easy to say right now. I'm a big Josh Young guy and I'm, I love Isaiah kind of I really do. He's a super valuable player, super underrated, but also he kind of is what he is. He is phenomenal defensively. One of the best defensive infielders in all of baseball. And I truly believe that with my whole heart, say it with my whole chest a bazillion times, but offensively, he's just nowhere near what Josh Young can bring. He is leaps and bounds better than him defensively at third base. Not close. He should have probably won a platinum glove at third base that year in 2022 or in 2020, not in 2022. 
he might win a, a platinum glove this year. That'd be pretty cool and a little bit surprising. But there's not going to be Josh Young nipping at his heels, so he's going to be free and easy to have the third base spot. But I, I just, it's kind of annoying to see. I mean, obviously, it's a little bit of blowing smoke up IKF's shorts, which, not that he needs it. He's a good player. He's earned his way to the big leagues. He has mastered his craft. But again, once Josh Young is healthy, I really think the offense, the offensive upside versus IKF is just way bigger in his favor than the defensive upgrade that IKF would provide compared to Josh Young, who I think is a fine defensive third baseman. I think he's fine. He could be eventually above average, I think. I think he's going to be at least average, but he's going to bring a whole lot offensively that IKF can't really even get close to competing with. He had a 670 OPS last year and hasn't had an OPS above 700 for his entire career, if I remember correctly. And yes, 699 in 2020, his best offensive season in a 58-game season. That was the best he could do. Eight home runs is his career high, which he set last year in 158 games. I think Josh Young is blowing past that. I think he is absolutely crushing that. His on-base is going to be much higher. IKF in four years has a 316 on-base percentage, where Josh Young, I think, would have a significantly higher both on-base and slugging. IKF just does not hit balls far. And that's okay. He is a valuable player. He has served a really great role on the range. I think he can still be a starting level player on a team competing for a playoff spot. But with Josh Young there, I think Josh Young is just better. And it's kind of annoying to see that. But again, we're going back to Nathaniel Lowe and we're also talking about Matt Olson. Now, what would it cost to get him? Obviously, Nathaniel Lowe is going to be the first piece in the deal. And I think Nathaniel Lowe is a very valuable piece for someone like the A's who are about to go into a rebuild, who would like to have him there costing very little. He's only been in the big leagues for parts of three seasons. I think he is not arbitration eligible for quite a while. Let me double check on that real quick. But either way, he's going to be very cheap because he's young and he hasn't been in the big leagues very much. So the A's are going to like that when they're in a rebuild. They're not going to want to pay a lot of people a whole lot of money while they are rebuilding. But it starts with him. Then if you can, there's a clear top three in the Rangers' top prospects. Everyone agrees on it. It's somewhere between Jack Leiter, Josh Young, and Colwyn. Those are the obvious top three. And there is a pretty steep drop off, in my opinion, not so steep in other people's opinion. Baseball Prospectus really likes Justin Fosu. I think pretty much everyone has the same top four, actually, of Leiter, Young, Wynn, and Justin Fosu in some combination. But I think if you can get out of there, they're obviously not going to give up Jack Leiter. That's just off the table. I really don't think they're going to give up Josh Young. I think that's also off the table. He is too valuable. And even with the six months that he's going to be, five to six months that he's going to be out with this shoulder surgery, I really don't think that changes it. I don't think they put him on the table. Cole Wynn Cole is, is the one that is really questioned there. I think Wynn will probably make his debut at some time in the middle of the season. Can be a solid number three or four in rotation for many, many years to come. Could be a little bit more than that if things break well for him, which I think they could. He's a really smart pitcher. He's a very intuitive pitcher, and he has blazed through the system much faster than he had any right to with the stuff that he has endured, as in sitting out for his entire draft season and missing a year of development with the COVID season. But he has been great last year. I think they're probably going to start him in AAA, but I, I do think that he will do fairly well in AAA and hopefully make his major league debut at least at the very least by the end of the season. But he's a very, very valuable asset. 
and the Rangers need as many of those big league caliber pitchers, middle of the rotation guys. We have a whole bunch of those. You can trade those guys in for an ace. I don't think that that Matt Olson, the upgrade that they get, I think Matt Olson is absolutely worth giving up a Cole win plus a Nathaniel Lowe plus, I don't know, one or two other prospects probably on down the line. But I, I don't think that he's worth it for the upgrade that he gives the Rangers over what Nathaniel Lowe will be bringing. If you can get him for, this is about the, the highest price that I'd be willing to pay prospects wise for him. I think it starts with Lowe and I might be completely off base because some of what I thought it would cost to get certain high tier players in a trade has been way over the asking price. My parameters are still might be set on what it costs the Ranger to go get, you know, Cole Hamels back in the day, but you're going to get several years of Matt Olson. I believe he's got three years of control, two years after this one. It might be just two years total. So you're going to have to, either way, you're probably going to want to sign him to a long-term contract. But again, he is really, really good. But if you can get him for, let's say, Nathaniel Lowe plus Justin Foscue plus Josh H. Smith plus... You want to throw in a, uh, let's see, a Yeri Rodriguez. I think maybe you had to throw in one more in there of, I don't know, Avery Williams. If you can get him for a combination like that, I think it's absolutely worth it. You do that deal in a heartbeat. But the main thing that you need to think about is, is he worth Cole Wynn? And I don't think he's quite worth that. I like Justin Fosu. I think there's a bit of... A, a bit of a you know log jam here. I think it could do well. I think Oakland definitely needs to restock their farm system, which is probably why they're going to be trading their two all-star level corner infielders in the Mats, Chapman, and Olsen. I don't think the Rangers are going to be in any talks for Matt Chapman. I think he might cost more because he has more of a track record of being an absolutely dominant player than Olsen. Because Olsen just has the one all-star year. He's been solid to above average for basically his entire career. But this is the year that he really took the next step to being one of, if not the best first baseman in all baseball. Actually, maybe the second best. We'll go with the second best first baseman in baseball because I forgot that 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 kid up there in in Toronto and and Vladdy Guerrero Jr. also plays first base, and he might be just a little bit better than Matt Olson, as much fun and as good as Matt Olson has been this year. But I really do think that if you can, it it all just comes down to Cole Wynn. If you can get him without giving up Cole Wynn, great, do it, don't look back signed to a big deal and profit with the best infield in all of baseball. If it does cost Colwyn, really, really think about if it's going to be worth it for the upgrade that you're going to get. I'm not sure that it will cost Colwyn, but if it does, I think I'm out. Like I said, if I'm, if it does, if it doesn't, then whatever else you give up, I, I think it might be worth that price. But hopefully there's gonna be a lot more free agent news to come this weekend. I'll be back to five days a week, starting next week, I believe, pretty sure depending on how much news and stuff is going to break then. But definitely going to be a lot of episodes, a lot of content, a lot of actual Rangers baseball to talk about. Mandatory report date for spring training is going to be on Sunday. Rangers are going to open their season on April 7th in Toronto. Do have confirmation there. So Marcus Simeon is going to get that welcome. We loved you for one year. Glad you got your money. Too bad it wasn't with us from the Blue Jays fans that he deserves. But a lot of fun stuff coming up 
on future episodes of Locked On Rangers. And thank you guys so much for listening and subscribing. That's going to do it for this week's edition of Locked On Rangers. And until next time, don't forget to enjoy baseball.